When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Fitzy and Hart live from Fenway Park, our Ford Fenway Clubhouse Studios. I'm Andy Hart. Kyrie Thompson from WEEI.com and the first in Foxborough podcast filling in for Fitzy, who's vacationing and having fun somewhere. I believe last night I saw he was at a minor league baseball game enjoying one of his uh, famous IPAs or craft beers or whatever it is. And uh, another guy who likes to partake in uh, adult beverages joining us now on the Harbor One Hotline, NFL Network's Mike Giardi. Thank you for joining us, Mike. And right off the bat, I'm not going to lead the witness. I'm not going to do anything other than what are your thoughts on the process that is the Patriots coaching staff? Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There's your answer right there. No, uh, look, <laughs> it, is, it is incredibly confusing, obviously. And the more I think about what we saw uh, on Thursday after what we had seen for the, for the entirety of summer, and let's be real, you guys have been there, um, even though people have pointed out, well, Joe Judge is calling some plays. He's been calling seven-on-sevens when Patricia's working with the O-line, and he's been doing 11-on-11s when he's got the second team, but never the first team. Right. So um, it was clear to me that it's Patricia's offense, or you know, he's in charge of the offense, and I think we even saw either it was between the first or second series where he got the offense together as a group, and everybody else listened in, including Joe Judge, like it's his group. And then all of a sudden Joe's calling plays the rest of the game. And it leads me to think that if we see the same sort of setup again on Friday, that they are grooming Joe to be the guy. And whether that's to be the guy in two weeks or whether that's to be the guy six weeks from now or to be the guy next year, um, it, it just it, it's too odd of a setup to not think that Joe is is being, you know, propped up and, and groomed for that position at some point. See, that's wild because we were talking in the previous segment about all the time it takes to run the outside zone offense. And think about all the time that has been invested in Matt Patricia being the the play caller during, you know, every competitive or like mostly competitive team segment and even seven on sevens. Like he will leave the offensive line and come over and call plays during seven on sevens. And then the idea that, oh yeah, like we're going to spend some time on Joe Judge why why do that why invest that time in matt patricia you know ostensibly being the guy this entire time and they'd be like okay well now let's uh play around and have matt patricia uh you know being the offensive line coach like we put in his title and then having joe judge call basically what how every series after the second one why do that when you have so many questions on this offense well i mean uh, someone who 
felt like they wanted to explain themselves, who happened to be a head coach of the football team, could easily do that. (laughs) This head coach does does not want to do that um, for whatever reason. Remember, don't worry about it, which might be the line of the year, at least the early favorite. Don't worry about it. I'm not worried about it, but I am curious about it. Um, And I I guess if you want to look further down the line, if you want to say, well, okay, look, Matt's invested. They've invested too much time in Matt calling the plays this year. And while, yes, they're getting Joe reps, the reps aren't for this year. They're for next year. Mm. Being that maybe Gerard Mayo is not here next year. I think, you know, he was obviously a a strong candidate Mm. in a couple places to be a head coach. Um, I think he would love to be a head coach sooner rather than later. If that opportunity comes up for him, he goes. Maybe Matt goes back to the defensive side with Steven. Um, you know, and then, okay, well, we've groomed Joe to be this guy now, the quarterback's coach slash, you know, offensive coordinator in waiting. But, look, it's, it's curious. I, I don't – the only team I can think of in recent history that had so much confusion about the offensive coordinator was Brian Flores' Dolphins last year. They started with two, George Godsey and Eric Studesville, the running back's coach, but Godsey was basically the play designer, play caller. Godsey gets uh, COVID before the preseason, first game, and they have a nice first game with Studesville and Charlie Fry, the quarterback's coach, calling the game. And when Godsey comes back, Godsey's not the offensive coordinator anymore. And they're letting Charlie Fry, the quarterback's coach, call the plays. And Charlie Fry called the plays for a bunch of weeks, and then when it went sideways, what were they, one and seven or whatever? Oh, hey, you know what? Maybe George Godsey, who's experienced uh, and has called plays once or twice in his life, maybe he should come back and do it. And he did. And then they went on a tear. Mind you, they beat up some bad opponents. But regardless, they won a bunch of games with a real offensive coordinator. Um, so, but I mean, then try to think of other places. Yeah, every once in a while, maybe an OC gets bounced when things are disastrous. But this is curious, to say the least. One thing I found interesting Thursday night was that Brian Dable, head coach of the Giants, a noted play caller in many stops around the league, Josh Allen benefited from him, is not calling the plays currently for the Giants. Mike Kafka, his offensive coordinator, is calling the plays. And when asked about it post-game, he talked about how hard it is to call plays and how much time you spend the night before and the morning of the game thinking and planning and going through this whole process and it made me think about the Patriots situation under those parameters to some degree. Wouldn't you want Matt Patricia to get as many reps as possible calling plays in a game environment as possible? Because as much as he's doing it on the practice field, that's a pretty scripted, controlled environment, and he's not getting the actual game preparation. So to waste reps planning for next year with Joe Judge, I feel like you're not prioritizing this year. It's an awesome point. And to, hey, to sort of back that point up, Ken Dorsey yesterday, you know, first-time offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, worked under Dable there, um, was the quarterback's coach. He has a great relationship with Josh Allen, which is in part, I mean, not the full reason. Obviously, they must think highly of him, but it's part of the reason he got the gig, right? They stay in-house, they give it to this guy. And yesterday, after the game, Sean McDermott was asked about how Dorsey performed. Uh, and he was like, well, look, there were some, we had some lulls and we had some issues. And there were some things that we scripted that we couldn't go to. But then Ken eventually found his way in the second half and found a good rhythm of play calling. And that's what this is all about. To your point, what Dable said, or I remember asking Josh um, at the Combine about it, you never feel comfortable as a play caller. And we're talking about guys that have done it and McDaniels and Dable at a high level 
in Josh's case, for almost two decades. And he said, you never feel comfortable. There's always something. There's always a change. There's always something that doesn't go the way you want. Somebody gets hurt, and you have to adjust on the fly. And, yeah, I mean, you want all those reps, I would think. So, again, that takes us back to maybe Joe's the guy sooner rather than later. It just – the whole thing is very curious, and I can't help but think that Bill is in his office somewhere or uh, on a beach in Nantucket right now with his feet up. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you saying saying that having two days off this weekend, maybe Bill took a little extra summer beach time, got away? What happened to no days off, right? Like days off everywhere. Uh, Yeah, that was was a few years ago, the no no days off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, speaking of things that, uh, you know, growing comfort, not having that comfort right now, and things that, you know, generally could use some more reps, just generally the offense. And obviously we're all there for Monday and how much of an unmitigated disaster that was. Uh, for the first-team offense in particular. And we were, we were reading this article that was written by Tommy Curran where he talked to Ed, McCra- Ed McCaffrey from the Denver Broncos who played under Mike Shanahan, who ran that offense, and, and he gave some insights into just how time-consuming it is and that in a lot of ways, one play is kind of like 20 plays when you're installing it because of all the personnel groups that you uh, you know, could run it out of and all of the different variations that could be on the defensive fronts that you might have to block. And so given the amount of time we have seen them invest in running, you know, these, these wide zones and inside zones and all, all of that entire scheme from OTAs through minicamp and now through training camp, do you see a scenario in which this goes so poorly, like through the rest of training camp or into the first couple of weeks of the season where they say, you know what, I don't think we can run this. We need to just go back wholesale to the things that we've been doing before. Well, I mean, we saw basically what they did before on Thursday night. And I know, look, there's no game plan to it. You're just sort of running plays and and sequencing and and you're looking to get people certain looks and whatnot and your offensive coordinators repetitions, apparently. But Bill talked about it about a week ago, right? About the idea of like, and it was more general speaking, but like, yeah, there comes a point when you're doing something, if you're just beating your head against the wall, if it's not working, then you have to look at it and say, do we invest more time in this or do we just say, nope, that's not what we are, move on, get to the next thing. And, yeah, I suppose there could be a scenario because, look, obviously it's, it's looked poor in the first couple of weeks. And, you know, for the talk about it during OTAs, I mean, what, what the hell are you really learning in OTAs? Okay, so they're putting in this stuff, but we don't know how it looks and how it runs. If they have a bad week this week against Carolina uh, with the joint practices where, again, things will be scripted, but you're going against – you know, other other guys are trying to make plays and impress coaches. Um, it could happen sooner rather than later. I, I you know, there, there's just it's hard to tell. Again, the, the the messaging has been so mixed, and the frustration from key players on the offense has been clear. That you know, how much longer do you want them to beat their heads into the wall until they say like, all right, we we this is stupid. Let's just let's just go back to what we were, and you know, maybe as the season goes along, we can work in this or that. Um, but at this point, to try to be more all-in on this doesn't make any sense. Mike, did you settle on sort of a, a reason or a comfort level as to why uh, Bill Belichick's quote-unquote starters, top-line players, didn't play at least a series or two in the, the preseason opener? Was it, was it to protect them? Were they not ready for it? Is it simple you know, fixation on the joint practices? We'll get our work this week and next. Did, did you come to some understanding of why nobody played 
Yeah, I think it's more of a fixation on what's about to come where you can sort of control um, the sequencing of what you're what you're doing. And obviously you can make sure your quarterback doesn't take a rib shot when you can't pass protect the first two weeks of training camp, things like that. But I, I do believe it's more about knowing that you have not only this week, but then next week with the Raiders, you have these you know opportunities that I think Bill values equally, if not more, than the preseason games. I mean, obviously, with the preseason stuff, the actual game itself, it's good to see Tyquan Thornton get out there and just play against somebody else and play during, you know, the whole sequencing of a game and all the things that go on. But I think, by and large, Bill will look at Tuesday and Wednesday of this week as far more important than than Friday. So with that, um, we've kicked around, you know, Mac Jones and what do we want to see from him in his in his second season? Is he going to be hurt by this you know, the, these new offensive schemes that they're that they're trying to run? Like, is it is it going to hamper him? Is the coaching staff going to hamper him? This is going to be the first time in 2022 on Tuesday and Wednesday, and also a little bit on Friday potentially that we're going to see him play against an opponent that's not the New England Patriots. When we when we take that in. What do you think you would like to see from Mac Jones in terms of, okay, this is a little bit of growth from, from where he was last year. Is there anything in particular that you would like to see different about his performance, whether it's aggressiveness or, uh, I don't know, the way that he's reading things? Anything in particular? Well, what I'd like to see him is feel more comfortable in the pocket, which is something we haven't seen for the first two weeks. So you're talking about, like, what from last year to this year. I'm just talking about from, from the last two weeks – to now because to me that's been stark and you know again it's all 11 so i'm not putting it all on mac but it's pretty clear and you guys have been there he's not that comfortable and there he hasn't seen things great he hasn't been all that happy with his performance and those people around him i would just like to see some level of comfort and confidence you know to say all right that was a little low we had a tough couple weeks but you know this is a guy i believe in um I think he's a pretty good quarterback, and, you know, I think even with all the stuff circling around him, I think he is smart enough and certainly accurate enough to, to still maintain some level of control and poise, and that's, that's really what I want to see more than anything. I'm more than pushing the ball down the field, any of that stuff. That's what I want to see. Mike, we've spent a lot of time talking about the offense, but the defense is a unit that I think has a lot of questions in its own right. And I'm going to ask you, uh, uh, I think is an interesting question. I'll let you be the judge of that. But if after a couple weeks of practice, I said to you, the Patriots' best defensive player in 2022 will be and the Patriots' worst defensive player in 2022 will be, what would your answers be? Long, dramatic pause. Not quite seven (laughs) seconds like Belichick gave me the other day. Um you can tell me, don't worry about it, too. <laughs> don't you worry about it. <laughs> it's like, we're just looking for a little bit of clarity on this. Great, great. Thank you. Yeah, um, look, it should be – I think it should be Barmore. Uh, I okay. think physically he's really gifted. The, the one thing I think that's been interesting, though, again, through the first couple weeks of camp is he hasn't been an every-down guy. He's still been more of a sub guy. Um, and I, I would like to see I, – I think he's obviously supremely talented on all fronts, and I'd like to see him out there more. So um, maybe they're still telling us they don't feel like he is as mature a run defender as they would like it to be. And then I don't know if a part-time player uh, can be your your best player. And mm-hmm. I uh, there's another one I can – it's easy for me, Adrian Phillips. I think Adrian Phillips is just rock solid. And does that get people excited? No, but like from a week-to-week basis, I think over the last couple of years – He's probably been your best player. 
defensively. So I don't see any reason why that would change going forward. As for who your worst player is going to be, to tell me about the linebackers. Like, I, you know, there's this raving about the speed that they bring to the table. And, I, you know, I read some things today and, and heard some things over the weekend about Mac Wilson and his performance. Always everywhere. I didn't think Mac Wilson played very well. So he's fast. He got to the ball. He made some tackles. But, like, I thought he was pretty inconsistent. I thought Raekwon McMillan, another guy they've talked up quite a bit, looked like just another guy out there. Cameron McGrone, who I thought, you know, in the, in the offseason, people were talking about, like, he was the next coming of Teddy Bruschi. I know he hasn't played a game in, in 20 months or whatever it's been, but he didn't look very good either. So, like, that that level of your defense scares the crap out of me, and it wouldn't surprise me if we saw, you know, four safeties on the field and, and Duggar and, and, and Phillips are essentially playing linebacker in that group. As a proponent of the four safety personnel group, <laughs> I agree with that. And, yeah, I thought that Mac Wilson and Cameron McGrone got lost a couple times in coverage. And uh, that was not fun to see. On a slightly more positive note, maybe, depending, uh, to kind of close things out, uh, Marcus Jones has really come on in the last couple of weeks, basically since training camp started. And you know there was some speculation, okay, maybe he didn't play because they think that he's a starter in the slot, or maybe they didn't play him on Thursday because they're not sure if he's ready for contact. Uh, do, you, do you have any idea of what that might mean for Marcus Jones? Might we actually see him uh, make an early push for starter snaps and see Jonathan Jones potentially be an outside corner more than the slot guy he's always been? Well, I think that they've coming have been coming to the realization that, that the idea of Terrence Mitchell and or Malcolm Butler at this juncture on the opposite side from Jalen Mills, and just think about that sentence for a second, um, <laughs> that those guys aren't, aren't ready yet or may never be ready. You know, I, and I would say not ready yet in terms of Malcolm because, look, he just hasn't played for a long time. So, you know, I, I, I still believe that there's a potential for him to find a different gear and kick off some of this rust. But I think Mitchell is what Mitchell is, right? And that's if you have to put him in there, you at least know he's had starting experience and there's – some confidence in that, but you also know what his ceiling is as a player. He's not going to change fundamentally who he is as a player. So I think they look at this situation now, and I think that's why we saw Marcus in the slot and John Jones kicked outside last week before the, the, the actual game itself was because they're saying, all right, well, who are our best guys? And right now, maybe they're looking at it and saying, well, John's probably capable of doing this, you know, certainly – he plays in the slot a lot, but guys move around. You have to cover guys in space. He's got great quickness and speed. Looks like he's getting his timing back as well after missing the better part of last year with the injury. So why not give that a run, uh, you know, and, and see if Marcus can hold up on the inside like that. I mean, certainly uh, you have to be impressed with the kid considering he didn't do a ton in OTAs, you know, not, not physically ready for a lot of that stuff. And I think he has shown up every day in camp and looks a little bit better each day. So, you know, I don't know if he can continue that sort of upward trend, but you've got to feel good about what you've seen from him and, to a lesser degree, Jack Jones so far. Mike, uh, I always appreciate when you join our shows, and I feel like I've done a disservice to you and your fans in recent appearances where I haven't asked you a Jimmy Garoppolo question. <laughs> and therefore, we're going to end on a high note here, delve into your uh, topic of true expertise how many games does Jimmy Garoppolo play this year, and where does he play him? Well, I mean, there was a there was a brief moment on uh, what was it Friday night, Saturday night, whatever the hell that was, the Jets when when Zach yep. went down, and then you're looking at it going, 
Well, he's got experience with with Mike LaFleur, the offensive coordinator there. He's got experience with Robert Sala, and that might make a lot of sense for a team that I think, even though they still are a ways away, there might be some pressure to win sooner rather than later with that group. So immediately I kind of went there for a second, and then obviously it looks like uh, they'll see when they get in on his knee, but it it looks like more like a two- to four-week injury, so that would sort of preclude that. I think he's stuck in a position now where – I guess aside from waiting for what could happen in Cleveland with Watson and the and the settlement, suspension, whatever's happening there, he's waiting for an injury, you know? And the, 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 the problem with that, too, is then the clock's ticking on when that contract becomes guaranteed. Mm-hmm. I think it's the first week of September uh, that it actually becomes fully guaranteed. So they're, they're not going to want to carry that money uh, when they've got them listed fourth on their depth chart and won't let them practice with the team. So... Um, it's going to be coming to a head soon, but I think there's some frustration there that there's not a lot of opportunity available and there doesn't seem to be a lot of movement. I mean, why, if you're a team, why are you going to trade for him when you know he's going to get cut? Right. I so unless, like I said, unless somebody gets hurt in the next two weeks with a major injury, then, yeah, he's, you're just going to wait for him to get cut. And then if you're, if you're interested in, in having a guy with starting experience come into your organization and try to have to pick things up quickly, there you go. He is NFL Network's Mike Giardi, expert on the Patriots, the NFL, the most versatile man in sports media, in my opinion, and certainly knows more about Jimmy Garoppolo than virtually anybody that doesn't have the last name Garoppolo. Mike, uh, appreciate you joining us on a uh, Sunday afternoon. I hope you get some downtime like uh, Bill Belichick the rest of the weekend, and we will uh, we'll see you soon in Foxborough. Free Jimmy, guys. Free Jimmy. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Mike. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah.